2: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
0: All right, welcome back. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I don't quite know how they're doing it, but they're doing it. The Patriots are hanging around the fringes of the AFC playoff picture at 5 and 6. You can follow me on Twitter at wdev. Radio Brady. You can follow our co-host, former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, Doug Flutie, both Twitter and Instagram. You can find him by searching for Doug Flutie, at Doug Flutie. Former NFL tight end, Ed Smith, is going to join us. He's the host of the Believe in Cardinals podcast, played for a couple of teams, including the Falcons, Lions, and the Eagles. The podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. I'm so mad at myself. I knew the Patriots were going to win. I predicted it on my radio show. Pats were going to win. Screw the spread. I knew they were going to win the game outright. I could have bet the spread. I could have bet the money line. I could have been a millionaire if I had just put my money where my mouth is and gone to bet online. Don't make the same mistake as me. Betonline.ag is the only place you should be wagering. Do it responsibly. We don't uh, encourage any, any bad gambling habits, but do it responsibly. Fun, safely, responsibly. Get your action in. Coaching, player, prop bets, all of the above. In-game betting, pre-game betting, betting early for next week, futures betting, everything. BetOnline.ag. Aaron Wells is our producer. Aaron, kick us to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, welcome back in. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast. Brady Farkas, Doug Flutie with you here as always. Yeah, Doug, I'm so mad at myself. I knew the Pats were going to win. I had it called on my radio show. I even got the Patriots were going to score 20 points. If only i just put some money on it.
1: You know, go with your heart, man. When you when you feel it in your gut, you got
0: to just pull the trigger. I thought the Pats were going to win. I said it was going to be se- uh, 20 to 19. Instead, it was 20 to 17. Well, you um, knew
1: you knew the Cardinals would miss a field goal down the wire, and they'd get a late penalty, and it set up the field goal to win it, right? I
0: thought it would look different. I thought it would be twenty to nineteen. I thought it would look a little cleaner. It was ugly. But Doug, I told you this weeks ago. I'm done trying to make this Patriots team look pretty. I've just given up on them looking like the Chiefs. So this is what they get, and they won. This is exactly what you get, and and I agree. You
1: know they're going to have to find ways. There was a goal line stand a missed field goal, a late hit. Uh, Cam was like 5 of 12 in the middle of the fourth quarter, 5 <laughs> of 12 and two interceptions, and less than I think 55 yards at that point. And I'm thinking, they're in, this, they're still in the game. And, uh, you know, they just made the plays they had to make down the wire and, and win the game. You're a little fortunate at times, but it's not going to be pretty.
0: I've just given up on that. I felt like I was watching my high school team play where, like <laughs> – my high school team would throw six times a game when it was always on like third and 18. That's what I feel like. That's if it's like watching, it's like pulling teeth watching the Patriots play. But hey, they won. We brought it up, for, you were bringing up about my games back in
1: the 80s when I played with the yes. We had a good winning streak, and I had games like five of 10, and I don't know, seven of 11, and I just throwing the ball like single digit. T- yeah, it's, you know what? Uh, Cam running the football is a big part of it. Yeah. We're worried about Cam running the ball. And then move the chains. They played great defense. I tell you, they did. We were talking about how you defend Kyler Murray and all that. They did a great job of five-man rush, push the pocket, throw out a well, get a well, get a couple of balls batted. Um, you know, the interception early and things like. Or it was, I think, third quarter. There was an interception and then another tip ball later. Yeah. Just, uh, it was. It was a keep Kyler Murray in the pocket type of game. Don't let him take off and run.
0: Well, I got questions on all of that. I guess I'll start here, though. Um, it couldn't have gotten off to a worse start for the Patriots. They get forced into third and long. Cam gets his pass bad. and gets intercepted in their own territory. Arizona goes down and scores. I thought the game was going to be a blowout at that point. Um, what's like the worst start you remember getting off to?
1: Oh, my gosh. Worst start. I had a ball, oh, and it, it, it wasn't just the start. It was the whole game. in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, after I just had a great game, I was playing for San Diego at the time. At Denver, uh, we fumble a snap. I fumble a snap. I have a screen pass that kind of slips out of my – the guy's eight yards away from me, and I throw it about halfway, bounce it to, to LT. It was one of those days where – if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. But I also – and that, I go back to Denver. Denver slips the kicking balls in on the opposing quarterbacks all the time. Oh, what a dirty, dirty organization. Oh, ask, Tommy, ask Tommy about it. It's like all of a sudden you get these greasy, slick balls. And, you know, and you realize it early on. But it, you already, we already had two turnovers before we realized it. One, I went to hand off to LT, and it just like went, you know, like a skillet off his jersey and on the ground. But that was definitely the worst start ever.
0: Any sympathy I just had for the Broncos having to play with a practice squad quarterback is gone by knowing that they're a cheating organization.
1: Uh, well, they did it for years. I don't know if they still get away with it or not, but they did it for years, slipping in the kick and ball.
0: Um, with the Patriots, that first drive, take me through, what's the mentality of a team on their first drive? What are you saying as the quarterback? What's being said to you? What's the goal of the first drive? You on your You just want to
1: get a rhythm and get some first downs. From a coordinator standpoint, they they script plays. You script your first and second down plays, and then you deal with the third down situation as it comes. But with those plays, you want specific formations, shifts, motions, whatever it is, to see how they're going to defend certain things throughout the game. The, oh, This is their adjustment to our trips package. This is our their, their adjustment to our bunch package. This is and you get a feel for those things early on, so you can set things up later. And that's what the coordinator is looking at. As a player, you've gone through your script, and you you know these first handful of plays like the back of your hand. You just want you want sharp execution. You want you, there's no doubt in your mind about what plays are going to be called. You know what your assignment is, and you go. So you want to
0: have that feel good start. And what happened? third play you get a ball tipped in the air and it's intercepted. Yeah, but when you start poorly, how hard is it then to overcome that? Like what's going through your mind when the first drives happen and you're like, "Oh god, 3 plays in, we've already got a pick, we've already set our defense up in this situation."
1: Um it's it's tricky. It's a it's a pain. Confidence is so huge. It really is. That that when you get into a rhythm, it, it just feels like you're practicing and you're running play. So when conversely, when things get off to a bad start, all of a sudden you got the weight of the world on your back. All of a sudden it's a little tougher to get that first down. And you just need a play or two to get that off your back. And a lot of times for me, I'd like to go to a coach and say, Hey, this, you know, get to my favorite plays, get to this play, get to that play. Let's get a completion, let's get a first down.
0: I had a former radio host who we always talked about the idea of scripting those 15 plays. If you say that that's true, the teams do script those plays. Doesn't it change based on game flow, though? Like, if I'm Arizona, hey, I got my play scripted. But now we've picked the ball off and we're starting at the 30-yard line. Isn't my script now gone and now I'm on to something different? Doesn't it depend well, on game flow? Re- you, you'll get to your
1: red zone stuff. Okay. Uh, the first player or two, oh, you know, and where they got the ball in the plus area there, that might be shot play time. Yeah. So we put the script on hold. Now we're in an area where maybe we go play action, take a shot right away. Or maybe we're already red zone – conscious and we're doing this, but usually your first and scripting is a first and second down call. And then third down is, is it third and three, is it third and eight that, you know, then you go to specific calls. Um, you can still stay within a script of your red zone, but I, I went by feel, a lot. I called a yeah. lot of plays when I was in Canada. And when you get something that's working, you just get a feel for things and, and you go and, and they may start into that script, have success. But all of a sudden, there's a formation that's working. Or this is, we you know, run power 10 times in a row. Shoot, they're not stopping it. We're getting six yards a game. Um, you know, so you can alter it, no doubt. But you might come back to those plays because you
0: you the reason
1: you scripted those plays was to get a, a look at what they're defensively going to do to certain formations and motions.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, I think my biggest frustration with the Patriots is – the lack of complementary football. And what I mean by that is the really good teams, I feel like I know what I'm getting from every unit week in and week out. Like, I feel like I got some consistency. With the Patriots, I have no idea what I'm getting. Like, against Houston, offense great, defense garbage. This week, defense special teams great, offense garbage. Like, I never know which team is showing up, and that frustrates me. I like consistency, Doug.
1: Well, yeah, we all do. And as a yeah. player, you love it, too. But it just isn't, you know, it's, it's not going to happen all the time because the, the team you're playing is different. And guys, uh, you know, even you don't know when guys are going to step and have their best game of the year either. Right. True. So that's frustrating. But defensively, I thought they played great this week. I thought the the principle of, of keeping Kyler Murray in the pocket, getting your hands up, deflecting a couple of balls. Offensively, it was, it was hard to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, um, God, I'd, I'd love to see more of a pass game, but, and I I don't, I, Cam still makes some good throws. He makes some really good throws, but as I've said all year, it just looks like it's so much work for him to make those throws. Um, but this is what they're doing. They're trying to move the change, staying down a distance, use Cam as a runner. And, and you get to the fourth quarter, they'll use Cam as a runner even more. And, you know, you you. This is what they have to work with, and this is the plan. A uh, big play out of special teams. I thought that was a garbage penalty on the peel back
0: block. Oh, was, we're getting to that in a minute. Don't worry, right, we're going to get to that in a minute. So they made
1: a big play in special teams. They they uh, shut down a, a dynamic guy in Kyler Murray and and played mediocre on offense and managed to win.
0: You know, you talk about want to stay in down and distance. When I saw them routinely third and six, third and eight, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be horrible. Like, this is a team that needs to be third and three or less, because if they're third and three or less, then Cam running becomes another element for a team to have to worry about. Like, if this team, if any team's at third and seven, you're screwed. But this team especially is third. Okay. Like, they, they, they couldn't do it.
1: Well, it's not, you know, and, and what Tom did, you know, Tom didn't throw the ball down the field either a lot.
0: Yeah, but, he does now.
1: <laughs> but those middle, those middle, you know, those little four to eight yard plays were like automatic, you know, the little yeah. option routes and the drag routes. That's not automatic anymore. You know, so third and six is not a complicated call, but you have to complete a pass. And like I said, you're in the middle of the third quarter and you're five for 12. That's only five a pass. I think it was only the two different receivers at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, you get in any kind of long yardage situation where you've got to throw the ball. And you're cringing because you got to hold up in pass protection and you got to find a way to get a guy loose and complete a pass.
0: Patriots beat the Cardinals 20 to 17. Game winning kick was made by Nick Folk. Aaron, let's get to the overall takeaways because I got three of them all. I want to run by Doug.
3: Overall takeaways.
0: Number one. So I've got a sequence here of things I want to go in order. We're going to get to everything um, on the docket. I want to start with defense and special teams won this game. That's kind of the blanket statement. Defense special teams won from the Moncrief 53-yard return to the Gunner Olszewski big punt return, the interception of Kyler Murray, limiting Kyler rushing. This game was about defense and special teams. Doug, how big is it for a team when you get a big special teams play? Because it's never something you can count on. The Patriots got two.
1: It's a freebie. It's it's awesome. I, you know, it's like uh, the way you – we were playing the Redskins and Tim Dwight. They they yeah. get up and score. And Tim Dwight takes a kickoff return back for a touchdown, and it's clean in the slate. We got a free score. It's back to even. Um, that stuff uh, it lifts the whole team. It puts you back. It allows you to take that deep breath and say, okay, it's settled down. It's not out of reach. We're back. It, it's a it's a game changer for sure because it's something that neither side really expects. Other than your special teams coach, he expects it every week. Yeah. You know, they, 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 oh, we're gonna get one this week. We're gonna block a kick hmm. and we're him one for you know. No, it's not gonna happen. Just fair catch the ball and I'm happy. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, you know, you get that break. It's it just lifts your spirits. It, it changes the whole game. It, you know, you can be dominated for a half. One special teams
0: play and it's one score game. Patriots limit Kyler Murray to 31 yards rushing. He was definitely hurt at one point. He was he didn't end it on the injury report, but he had a bum shoulder all throughout the week. As a guy who liked to run, did you ever limit yourself based on, like you're trying to protect yourself a bit? So do you think Kyler tried to protect himself?
1: Uh, I think he did early. I think he did. Um, But when he wanted to take off uh, later, it wasn't there because of the way Bill was defending. The one 15-yard run he had out around the left side. Yeah, They brought a five-man rush. Patriots bought five men. Jones came off the corner. He made the mistake of thinking he had a chance for a sack. So he went for it, jumped yeah. inside the back. Kyler bounces out and around, gets the corner and gets 15. I had a game where I had a sprained arch in my foot for about a, about an eight-week stretch. I really couldn't take off and run. So I stood in the pocket and threw the ball. This is in the CFL, of course. And it was a year I threw the most touchdown passes in my career because I yeah. stopped running the ball in. Um, but you can adjust your game as a quarterback. There's no doubt about it. I think he was doing it early. I think towards the end or second half, he tried to take off and run. But because of the way Bill was playing defense, they did five-man rush, push the pocket, keep him in there, put the hands up. When it was a four-man rush, the two outside rushers were separating them. They'd start the rush, but separate themselves from the offensive tackle and get their hands in the air. And that's how Winovich tipped one late in the game, uh, by keeping a little separation and mirroring the quarterback. So I think they did an excellent job uh, of containing them in, in the way they structured their pass rush bringing five even in a three-man rush then they had a spy on both sides of the field it was kind of it was it was fun for me to to see how because bill did the same type of stuff to me
0: when you you know i always will equate this to baseball because it's easiest when you're a young pitcher and you throw 95 miles an hour it's kind of hard for you to win without your fastball you're used to winning with your fastball when you get to be 35 years old you're throwing ninety-two. Now you're learning how to win with everything, right? I can win with a subpar fastball. I can win with a curveball. I've got to change up now. Location is everything. As a young player, if Kyler did limit himself from his running ability, how hard would like? How long did it take you to learn how to win when you didn't always have everything there at your disposal?
1: Yeah, that's a good. Um, you were when you're used to being, and Kyler is, I'm sure, used to being the best athlete on the field and can make anyone miss at any time. When you take that out of his regiment, um, it's – it's. I think um, when I – well, definitely when I came back from Canada, you know, I was I was yep. old, 34, 35. But even in – I think in Canada I learned – I was probably early 30s and I had those weeks where I couldn't run. I had a little strain of a hamstring or a calf or an arch in my foot or whatever it was, and you just learn to get rid of the ball and play like Tom Brady. Take your read and get the ball out. Be smart. Throw, you know – Go ahead and take the incompletion instead of scrambling around and trying to make the big play. Um, you might be a little less dynamic, but you become much more a rhythm passer, and you know – and I'll tell you what, I, that mode, a lot of times late in the game in that two-minute drive, I would get into that same mentality on a third down or fourth down play where you knew you had to get the completion and you see the coverage and you know this route's going to come open – and you make yourself stand there and wait for it and pull the trigger. You know, it, Maybe it's an extra half second holding on to the ball. But you know if you do, you're going to get this completion. Where earlier in the game, or as an athlete, you would have probably already taken off and started moving around. So you, you learned. I think there was a a sequence, a few handful of weeks in a row when I had to play in Canada in my early 30s where that started to develop.
0: I liked what we were just talking about a second ago. And I noticed it also, right? Winovich rushes, but then he kind of jumps back, gets the hands up. And maybe it was the game plan. Maybe it was a conscious decision where the guy says, look, I can't get home. I might as well just stop and put my hands up and try to bat something down. Kyler is a shorter quarterback, like you were a shorter quarterback. How do you get around that from the quarterback's perspective when you have guys swatting at balls, jumping, trying to knock things down?
1: Well, first of all, I'll say that uh, it's definitely game plan when Bill goes against a shorter quarterback and a mobile guy. Mm -hmm. He's doing that, and it's intentional. And I feel like if you do that against any quarterback, you're going to get bad passes. In fact, I think Cam Newton has more bad at passes per, per attempt than anyone in the league at 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. So, that being said, you change arm angles. You, you, as you lift up and you see that, you do see it. You know, all of a sudden there's someone in the passing lane and you'll see Mahomes do it too. You drop down and arm it around them, Or you step forward a half a step as you're getting ready to throw. You step forward and in, into a gap and, and throw the ball. You definitely feel that happening. Some guys don't. You know, some guys that are so regimented in their drops, and that's maybe why Cam gets a lot of balls batted, you know, that they're going to be at a certain spot, seven, eight yards deep behind the center, the tackle, whatever. Um, those are the guys that get a lot of balls batted. The guys that can drift and move and throw from different arm angles will do it. And that's why I said, you know, when I drift or when, when quarterbacks drift, a lot of times it's because they know this guy's coming open to that side of the field and they drift around the defensive end and just give themselves a, an easier lane to throw the ball. And, you know, the, I, I think that if more guys focus defense, J.J. Watts made a living doing it. Yeah. When you focus on it a little bit, you can do it. There's a, You know, when you decide that you're not getting home and you just start mirroring the quarterback, you're going to get your hand on a few balls.
0: Aaron, let's get to number two on the overall takeaways here. Number two. All right. Penalties were a huge issue in this game. There was two major penalty calls. One was the illegal blindside block that wiped out the Gunnar Olszewski touchdown. One was the personal foul on Cam Newton that helped set the Patriots up for the uh, game-winning field goal. Aaron, I think we have the cut of Gunnar Olszewski's punt return. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have the cut of it. We don't have the cut of it? Okay. So... Um, Bob Sosie, Scott Zolak, run the call on radio, and Zoe is—he sees the flag come out, and he screams,
3: "No, no,
0: no, no!" <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Look, I go yeah. ahead. I go ahead. I know you're going to go off on it, so go ahead and tell me why you thought it was a horrible call and how the game is too soft. It is so soft. They got to put
1: flags on the guys and just pull the flag and say no blocking allowed. Pull the. It was ridiculous. I saw exactly what happened. Guys closing on him. A great awareness to peel back and see the guy coming that's closing on your returner, and just screen him off. He's still going to score. He turns. He sees him. He lowers a shoulder and puts a shoulder in. the The other player defended himself, saw the hit coming, cringed, the braced for it, got popped and knocked on his tail. That's football. It's your job to have your head on the swivel, and he did. He saw the block coming. He saw it coming the whole way, and it wasn't head to head. It was a shoulder into the chest. It wasn't a blindside hit by any stretch of the imagination. He braced himself for that hit. It's just he happens to be running at full speed, and there's going to be a violent collision, and that's what happened.
0: Okay, this is going to come as a guy. I know how this is going to come off to listeners. I didn't play. You did. I'm 25 years younger than you. It's going to come off as I'm a soft millennial. Well, you you are. That's right. The, The call was the right call. We can say that the rule sucks. That's fine. If you want to debate the rule, that's fine. But the players know the rules. As the rule is written, that was the correct call. You cannot go back towards your own end zone and plant the guy. He lowered his shoulder and did that. I'm sorry that it's not football in 1991 anymore, but that's the rule whether we like it or not. That's not football in 2018. That's that's ridiculous. I, I just he didn't he actually
1: it, it wasn't a kill shot. It was just the guy was running fast enough that you hit him with a shoulder and boom, he's on his tail. I I just I just totally I, I hear what you're saying as far as the rule and the way it's written. um, But that's football. That's just football to me. And it wasn't a cheap shot. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, he could have gone for an absolute kill shot. And he didn't. I thought he just kind of lowered his shoulder and, and gave him a good shoulder and because they're going so full speed that he, he went down. But I hear you as far as the way things are worded. And that, that's to me, it's just wrong. Because if he doesn't block him, he makes the tackle.
0: Aaron types in our chat, he goes, I lost my mind. He got out in front perfectly and made a clean block. I would tell him the same thing I'm telling you, that I think it was the right call based on how the rule is written. And he, Doug, here's the other thing about this. The players know the rules. Everything on a punt is called a flag. Blocking the back, holding, everything on a punt return is a flag. You know they're looking for it. So here's what I would say one, I think Gunner scores even without it. So I think he scores a touchdown, anyways. And two, you know what? If he gets caught by the guy, he gets caught and tackled at the nine-yard line. Instead, you take the unnecessary block, which you know they're gonna call, and you put get the penalty that puts you back at your at the 45. If he's gonna get caught at the nine, he gets caught at the nine, but we cost 30 yards of field position on that.
1: You're sitting here, you're sitting here, you know, after the fact, seeing the fact that they got back up 15 yards. If I, was, I knew
0: it was a flag the moment it happened. I knew it was the flag was coming before the flag got
1: thrown. I was I screamed when I saw the flag come out. I thought it was ridiculous. I would have gone. What are you supposed to block him with your butt, your back? Yes, and back and yes. Double, do a little waltz and get in the, no. It's football. You turn. You see a guy going to make a take. He saw you coming. You make the block. Yes. Don't lower. Don't lower the shoulder. Stand there. Be a roadblock. Well, me being 5'10", 172 pounds. I would have just kind of gotten in the way and let him run over me. That's what yeah. I would have done. But this guy's a football player. He turns around. He blocked him.
0: Well, I I am sorry. I, I look, I can hate the rule. I thought the call was the right interpretation of the rule. Let's go to something also really in your wheelhouse here. The hit on Cam Newton. Um this one I actually didn't like. Now I also understand I also understand that quarterbacks are 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 protected. I think this was an unnecessary stupid hit on by Isaiah Simmons. He could have been flagged for stupidity more so than any illegal hit here. Cam's a runner, not afforded the protections of being in the pocket, and he didn't get hit in the head, and well, he was still in the field of play. I actually I thought, thought this ball was hit wrong. In the head. I
1: just watched it like five times in a row. I thought No, was- he got hit in the shoulder. No, it's helmet to helmet. He hit it That right was not shoulder. helmet to helmet. He hit him right in the jaw. The the helmet went right in the jaw. And it's tough to do for Cam. Cam's six six twelve. You know, <laughs> you, you, you catch it. I thought it was an inbounds hit. The hit is perfectly fine. Go light him up. In, he was still in the field of play, but I thought he went high and he hit him in the head after the like initially I'm like he was in he was in the field of play. And then on the replay, I'm like, I right, hit him in the jaw. We're going yeah, to pull I see. The video. I'll
0: see, have I to look at the video. I,
1: I go. I, I call that helmet the helmet there, even Aaron- though I like helmet the helmet because it was perfectly legal when I played. But that's the, the call there. I thought he was inbounds. He's a runner. Light him up. But he went high.
0: Aaron agrees with you. He says he saw a lot of face mask. I didn't see that. Um, How long would you have been able to play if quarterbacks were protected at this level? Would you have made it to 50? I don't know. I would have liked to have tried. Um, Did I have any –
1: you know, I I didn't have any injuries because of getting hit and decked and slammed. I think what happens is, though, your neck and shoulders – you know every time you threw the ball you were getting dumped to the ground and the full body weight on you and all that and the slamming back of your head on the turf time and time again you do some you know like peyton had with his neck you get a lot of that stuff going on and there's weeks where your your rotation and your neck's not very good and stuff like that but i don't think i ever took i would love to try i know we would have gotten a lot more penalties on people because i'm only like four foot tall so they they can either hit me in the head or they hit me below the waist. They got a target shooting of about a foot there that's legal. And um, that's what amazes me. You get a guy 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, coming around the edge, and he's got to hit me. I crouch at all. He's going to hit yeah. me in the head. It's going to happen. I. That's the stuff that – and not getting slammed to the turf. I mean, I saw – and I'm trying to think of uh, – Maybe it's a Tampa Bay game watching Tommy get hit. He just got kind of pushed down or something, and they get the flag. I don't yeah. I which ones it were. But I, you see so many to me that are just kind of a push after the fact that, that get called now. So it would be more about the 15-yard penalties and not so much about longevity.
0: The Cardinals players reportedly said the refs cost them the game. Did you ever feel like you got cost a game by the officials? Um. The one game that I was
1: playing, I was with Buffalo. We were at New England in old Foxborough stadium hmm. and uh, New England's throwing a hail Mary at the end of the game. And they called defensive pass interference in the end zone. And it was just guys, you know, guys boxing each other out, getting ready to go up for the ball. And they throw it for, for defensive pass interference, put it on the one yard line and they score and win the game. We, and and to, to, to top it off, we just we didn't even stay on the field for the extra point. We go up the locker room. Patriots had to send the group out to kick the extra point to finish the game. So Adam and ran it in for two. But, oh my god! <laughs> but um, that was uh, that was the one where I thought the call cost us. That it was a situation where you know you eat that flag. You know everybody's kind of it's like boxing out for a rebound with arms. And, um, but you know you've had I've had more than our share of bad calls, but that's one that cost us the game.
0: See, I've never – I again, it's probably a fan thing. I've never been a guy to say the refs cost us the game. If I'm an Arizona fan or an Arizona player, I'm looking at it like, hey, we allowed huge special teams plays. We threw an interception in our own end at the 30-yard line. We uh, didn't separate when, on the Patriots when we forced two turnovers. We committed multiple penalties. Like I'm looking at it like there was 59 minutes and, 50, and 40 seconds before that call where we screwed up a bunch. I agree with that 100%.
1: You you can always go back and say there were so many other opportunities where you shouldn't have been in that situation. In fact, in in our interference situation, the play before, this is why, oh, geez, the play before was fourth and long, and the receiver caught it. It was a marginal inbounds, out-of-bounds on the sideline catch. And first of all, he only had one foot down and should have been ruled out-of-bounds, but they didn't. They called it inbounds. But he was inbounds short of the first down by a yard but they gave him the first down also, and then the Hail Mary to the end zone. But what you're saying is true. There's there's 100 other plays in the game. There's plays that, that can determine it. Don't get yourself in that situation, um, and, and that's what happened. They they turned the ball over. They had their chances to win the game. They had the goal line stand, the missed field goal, and uh, New England took advantage of it.
0: How different was, was NFL life or football life before the advent of the challenge like you're talking about that play that wasn't challengeable back then the no. challenge came in I want to say like as a result it was 2000 or 2001 Jets beat Seattle knocked Seattle out of the playoff race Vinny Testaverde quarterback sneak got stopped at the two they gave him the touchdown Jets beat Seattle Seattle doesn't make the playoffs that's the what the play that was the impetus for the challenge
1: um we just you just accepted whatever the call you got mad for a second you know you, yeah. you're but you definitely put the play behind you a lot quicker back then because you had to get on to the next play and you, you accepted the, the handful of mistakes that might happen throughout a game. And it takes until it costs a team, a playoff game uh, like challenging interference for the saints. Yeah. Or, or going to replay once it costs someone big, then they try to make an adjustment and go to it. I mean, there were so many rules that, that they changed after people learned how to take advantage of rules, uh, fumbling the ball forward out of bounds, fumbling the ball forward on fourth down, things like that. And then, you know, that's just how the game goes now. They, they keep altering it or changing the rules. Um, but we lived with it. You know, you, you made mistakes. There might have been 12 players on the defense to stop a goal line stand that win a game for you, and you got away with it. You know, back then, like in baseball, when they're stealing signs, if you can get away with it, it's legal. That's <laughs> was. You can't get away with anything now. That you know they got cameras everywhere. They got guys on the sideline. That you got to watch what you say on the sideline now.
0: We'll have to get them on those Denver kicking footballs they tried to bring out. I got so many things here still on my agenda. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hold some of it for the next podcast because I want to get to our guest. It's Believe in Cardinals podcast host Ed Smith, longtime Arizona radio host, but also former NFL tight end. He played with the Falcons, played with the Lions, played with the Eagles. He won an NFC title with the Atlanta Falcons back in 98. So let's get to our Ed Smith interview. All right, welcome back. A dual-purpose interview appearing on both spots. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com, but also on our Believe in Patriots podcast, me and Doug Flutie. And now we're talking with former NFL tight end Ed Smith. A couple of different teams. He played for the Falcons. He played for the Eagles. Played for the Lions. And also has been a radio host in Arizona. And he is the Believe in Cardinals podcast host. So we're breaking down the Pats. Come from behind. Thrilling but quirky 20-17 to win over the Cardinals. Ed, how are you?
2: Doing good, Brady. Appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Well, I appreciate you joining us. Before we really get into the game, I got to tell you, you played on one of my all-time favorite NFL teams, the 98 Falcons, NFC Championship team – Uh well, Super Bowl team, NFC champions. I was living in North Carolina at the time, so I got really into the Braves and I got really into the Falcons. I did the Dirty Bird up and down my house all season long. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was the best – that's the best celebration in NFL history. The icky shuffle has nothing on the Dirty Bird.
2: You know, it was crazy, Brady, because it was – like I said, that, that season came out of nowhere – for us, you know, nobody expected anything from us. And that that dance was just kind of born out of, I guess, spontaneity. And it's man, you're talking about catching fire, like you said, like the shuffling different things. But you know, that 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 dance is synonymous with that 80 with that 98 Dirty Birds team. Now you were a tight end on that team. Did OJ Santiago start that? It was Jamal Anderson and OJ Santiago, right? Man, that's a good one. I'm uh I would actually give it to OJ. Yeah. Uh, I think he actually originated it. And then obviously because Jamal was getting in the end zone more, you know, maybe doing it a little more consistently. But I would actually credit uh, OJ with the creation of the Dirty Bird.
0: Yeah, that is one of my all-time favorite teams. Ray Buchanan, Terrence Mathis. Like, that was just such a fun team to watch.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was, like I said, that was a magical ride.
0: Man. <laughs> All right, let's get to the game. Um, Patriots win 20-17. to It is a... I guess what was your first impression of that game overall? Because it was weird on a
2: lot of different levels. You know, I was—I didn't know what to expect with that game. You know that Belichick, his trademark is taking away the—you know—best weapon of his opponent. You know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins was kind of stifled throughout the game. Uh, Kyler Murray never really got into a flow. Yet we still had an opportunity to win that game, and it was almost one of those ones that when when it was all said and done, like you said, it was so strange. It was like, wow, it's over. And, you know, New England won the game. It was like, well, how did that happen? Because we had so many opportunities that we blew. They had opportunities to take control of the game. When it was all said and done, like you you, the perfect word you use is quirky. I don't (laughs) – there was never like a great flow to the game. And the New England offense just seemed like it continued to sputter. The defense did their thing. Cardinals never got on track. And like I said, in the end, it was over. <laughs> did Murray
0: not run much because he was concerned about that shoulder? You think, or because the Patriots did something to make running not advantageous?
2: I think they did a good job of kind of creating edges, uh, not letting him get outside the pocket, and then you know, exploiting once because once he gets into space, he's unbelievable to yeah. kind of corral. I think what uh, one of the things I noticed is New England did a great job of keeping their discipline on the out on the edges. And then if you also notice, a lot of times the defenders, they released the front line when they weren't getting to him. They were literally like just jumping in the air, trying to create or take away any windows that he might have. We saw a couple of passes that were batted down. Obviously there was a deflection that turned into an interception. So I think they, you know, New England definitely had a game plan of making sure they kept him inside the pocket and they were disciplined all throughout the game. Speaking of Kyler Murray, kind of as an aside, he got
0: drafted number nine overall in the Major League Baseball draft. You played professional baseball before playing football. How good an athlete do you have to be to be to be at that level in two sports?
2: Well, I mean, he seems like he's next level. You know, <laughs> I I did it. You know, my baseball career was nine years. I, you know, was topped out. I was up in AAA. Then made the switch to football. And, you know, I give myself a lot of credit. Not a lot of people have done that. You know, I always get tickled when people will compare me to, wow, you're just like Bo Jackson and and uh, Deion Sanders. I'm like, no, I play both sports. I'm not <laughs> like both of those guys. But Kyler is definitely, like I said, you know, along with Russell Wilson, did, did they both taking it to that next level in terms of because the, I guess the, the biggest thing is the difference in the skill sets of the two sports. Baseball is so different, you know, hitting a baseball and then getting onto a football field and whether you're a tight end or a, quarterback those couldn't be any different you know further from uh you know traits that you have to have for those two different sports so be able to transition from one to the other definitely takes a special dude
0: you got off as high as triple a i think you were with the white Sox. who's the best player you saw coming up through the ranks like who did you get exposed to in baseball that uh that became something big
2: well me my claim to fame is me and frank thomas we were on the same team in birmingham wow and i was actually there when he got the call up we you know, big frank i mean we Two years apart in the draft. I was actually in 87. He was in an 89. And they had a couple of nicknames for us. He was the big herd at first. And I was the big pain over at third base. <laughs> so, you know, it was, you know, I that was there the night he got the call. Uh, we were in the playoffs in 91 or 1990, I think it was, in Birmingham. And I was there when he got the call to go up. And the rest is history for Big Frank. I mean, I played against so many dudes from that era, you know, that, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I see the, Some of these dudes, you know, in the going into the Hall of Fame now, like, yeah, I remember when we were in a ball together or double A. (laughs) So, yeah, I I got a long list for you, Brady. Very, very cool. Um, back
0: onto the game as I kind of bop around here. What did you think of the decision of Cliff Kingsbury to go for the touchdown at the end of the first half? Did you agree with it or did you think he should have kicked it?
2: I agree with it. If you come in, you know, hindsight's 2020 vision, but I agree with it. If you come with a more exotic play, something that you know, that, that play they ran was so generic, and then, you know, you missed that opportunity to put points on the board, and then you end up losing by just a couple points. That could have been a difference in the game. If you're going to go for it, then go all out. Let's get a little more creative. I, I wasn't so much concerned at the fact that he went for it because, you know, Gresson is part of the sport, but the way he, they went after it with that generic play, you know, when you got a Kyler Murray that you can do so many different things with, you know, read options, get him out on the edges, something, be a little more creative that could have turned momentum around. You know, obviously, you you miss that. You go into the uh, uh, halftime flat. You come out, and it basically gave you know New England a spark, even coming out in the second half. Those three points ended up being the difference in the game. I, I, You know, like I said, my thing is I don't fault you for going for it. I just fault you for the way you approached it. You know, there were
0: two controversial calls in the game. One was the blindside block on the Patriots that negated the punt return for a touchdown. The other was the personal foul on Isaiah Simmons on Cam Newton that helped set up the game-winning field goal. What did you think of that call? Was that the right call?
2: I don't think it was the right call. You know, I it was in a, a game of physicality, and I don't think that was the right call. Also, that call against the Patriots on that that blindside block, the dude saw the block coming from, like, you know, 20 <laughs> yards away. And, he you know, he didn't take a shot at his head or anything like that. Both of those calls, you know, I, I think we're getting to the point where – you know and then obviously you know if you watch the rest of the Sunday like I did Brady there was so many like if you just rub a pinky on a quarterback's helmet these days I think we're taking some of the I guess we're going too far with some of these I guess blocks and different things and those are the type of plays you look back and they can cost the team and in both instances like I said Isaiah Simmons you know I applaud him for for being more aggressive getting out there and Seems like he's the speed. He's catching up to the speed of the game. I just hope something like that doesn't tone him down. I want him to stay aggressive. And that call, I thought was a bad call, just like I did on the on the run back as well.
0: Bill Belichick has a history of beating young quarterbacks. Like rookie quarterbacks, never beat him. Young quarterbacks rarely beat him. Did you think he confused Kyler Murray at all yesterday?
2: I don't know if he necessarily confused him. I just I don't know if I. I, I almost get the sense that. Uh, Kingsbury and and Murray might have uh, what's the old so they, um Basically, freaked themselves out. They hmm. they were expecting more and didn't get it, and they never seemed like they got in that you know flow or zone. I didn't see anything exotic out there in terms of. I there were a couple times when you know the, the uh, pitchers loaded the box and maybe a couple guys bailed out and stuff like that, but I didn't see anything which I would call that he had not seen before that was like totally exotic and confusing. I think they might have just you know, gotten to their own heads a little bit, expecting more. And, you know, maybe just, like I said, play calling. And even with Murray, it seemed like he was really kind of muted in terms of trying to be creative out there. That's they're breaking down
0: week, week six in the NFL season as we continue to go through. Again, RPI and Union Hockey both in action today. Union at home against Maine. RPI far away from home in alaska will be monitoring dion lewis's workload tomorrow i expect him to play as the patriots take on the colts in the Deflate gate rematch northwestern iowa that's what you should care about and mets cubs tonight 807 right here 104.5 the team we'll see you next week capital region sports
3: saturday i don't look at it as a dirty slide brady um if anybody should know it would be Chase Utley. He's been on the other end of that slide many, many times. As a matter of fact, I saw online right after it happened a picture of David Wright doing something very similar to him. So I don't think he had any malintent while doing it. I think it was a hard plight. Look, I, he slid a little too late and he rolled. You know, I got a little problem with that, but you know, over, I, I don't think he meant to do anything. I don't think he meant any malice with it.
0: I think that my opinion on it is this. If you want to call him out for interference and award the Mets the double play because it was a late slide and he went out of his way to go at Tejada, I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with him being suspended. Were you surprised as a former player that he was suspended for that?
3: Absolutely I was, especially from somebody like Joe Torre, who does come from an old-school you know, kind of you know, kind of thinking. Some of that stuff is kind of go by the wayside. I, mean, I think it's good. They need to protect the players. The, the Buster uh, Posey rule, you know, maybe now they'll put in the Ruben Tejada rule, you know. And, and, and I'll tell you, Brady, I think it's coming down the, the pike that they're going to. Look, we need to protect these guys. They make an awful lot of money. And if I were the owner or coach of one of these teams, I would be upset by it, by losing one of those players.
0: I saw a 2012 National League Division Series play. Matt Holiday playing for the Cardinals went right in late to Marco Scudero. But because Marco Scudero got up, we're not making this a huge deal. Do you think oh, we're only talking about this now? Was the suspension only handed down because Tejada broke his leg? Is that the only reason why we're talking about this still?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely it is, Brady. Yep, there's there's no doubt about that. It was the result of what happened. Now, this is just my humble opinion the holiday slide, Holiday at least could retouch the base. It, 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 Chase Utley still hasn't touched the base. He, you know, once again, I don't think he meant to hurt the guy. He just meant to break up the play. But you can see, Brady, he, went, he didn't even try to touch the base, he just went in and rolled him. That, that to me was the difference.
0: They always say you never know what you're going to see each time you go to the ballpark, and that was certainly the case. Game five, Blue Jays-Rangers. Have you ever seen a play like what happened in the seventh inning where Russell Martin throws the ball back to the pitcher, but it hits Shinsu Chu's bat, who's the batter who's standing in the box? It rolls away, and that allows Rugnet Odor to score. Have you ever seen anything like that?
3: I have never seen I've seen some crazy plays in my life, Brady. I I do want to say this. I I was actually rooting for the uh, Rangers, but I was glad to see the game not decided on that play because Russell Martin has been a classy player, a hard-nosed player for a very long time, and to see him defined by that play if they would have lost that game, I think would have done him a huge injustice. So I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad it didn't decide the game, but no, Brady, it's, I've never seen anything quite like that. That was a little unique.
0: It's Capital Region Sports Saturday, brought to you by Mohawk Honda, your number one volume dealer in the Capital Region. On the phone right now with former local professional baseball player Jeff Keith. And Jeff, this is going to be the talk of the awards season when the season ends. Who's your NL Cy Young winner? Is it Clayton Kershaw? Is it Zach Greinke? Or is it Jake Arrieta of the Cubs?
3: I would actually go with Arrieta, Um, personally. Really? Although... Yes, I really would, Brady. And uh, you know, the thing is, number one, it, it just feels good to have some new blood. That's all. Um, you, you know what I mean? That's that's one of my main reasons. Um, I, I think it's the total story. Number one, I think I think Greinke and and um, uh, Kershaw are going to steal votes from one another because they're on the same team. Yes. You know. The, 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 the Arietta story here's a guy who, you know, kind of, you know, Baltimore kind of gave up on him, you know, always had a little bit of talent, you know, now he's had that elite season. Um, I just, you know, and especially for the Cubs, their expectation was not there. John Lester was supposed to be the number one guy. Unfortunately for a guy like Clayton Kershaw, Brady, my opinion is, he, the poor guy is expected to do that. It's like, wow, what a great year. Well, yeah, but he's expected to do that. And then Jake Arietta comes out. And you're like, wow, look at this guy, pitching for the Cubs. You know, that's a great story. So it, it's probably influenced my decision. But, yeah, I'd give it to Arrieta.
0: Jeff, you were one of the first guys from the area played at Lansingburg High School. You were one of the first guys from the Capital Region to get out and get into professional baseball. How cool is it for you to now see... This this success that local ballplayers are having at the professional level. I mean, look, Jeff Hoffman drafted in the first round two years ago. Garrett Whitley this past year, and Ian Anderson of Shen is a probable first round pick this year. This has to be pretty cool for you to see, huh?
3: It's really really cool, and I got to tell you, Brady. I, the one thing I'm most impressed about is is you know what, growing up there, growing up in the Capital District, like you said, and you know in the late '80s and early '90s when I was in high school, you know our community, the, the Capital District in general, was really known as a as a soccer community. You know, guys like Miles Joseph, uh... you know from Shenandoah was a was a big name, and even though I didn't play soccer, I knew who he was because he was such an elite athlete. Soccer was really the thing. I got to tell you, we are a. We are a baseball town, and if people don't want to recognize that, they're crazy. Uh, the amount of talent that's coming out of here, Brady, is just amazing. Look, these guys are doing it, you know, people like the Hainer Sports Barn, you know, uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago, these guys decided to do private lessons. Everybody looked at them like they were crazy. You know, you got to give credit to those guys. A guy like George Rogers, you know, for starting and building a, a program like the South Troy Dodgers. You know, look, people are just, they're sticking to one sport, they're specializing in it, and uh um, you know, obviously it's paying off uh, locally because we do. We have some great talent here locally.
0: Jeff Keith, local, former professional baseball player in the San Francisco Giants system with us here at Capital Region Sports Saturday, brought to you by Mohawk Honda. Jeff, thanks a lot for joining us, giving your take on the MLB playoffs. It's always good to hear from a former player's perspective. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again soon.
3: Brady, thanks for having me. really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations on your new show. I'm Thank proud you. Of you. Thank you.
0: Hi. Ah, yes, we are back. Capital Region Sports Saturday on the phone with Jeff Paternostro of Amazing Avenue Baseball Prospectus. You've seen him on the MLB Network. Mets taking on the Cubs tonight. Game 1, NLCS. Jeff, you're a Mets fan first and foremost. What were your emotions like on Thursday night watching the Mets clinch against the Dodgers in the NLDS?
4: Um, it's just one of those games. I've, I've seen three of them in my lifetime. Do or die elimination game. 1988 against the Dodgers. 2006 against the Cardinals. And this year, not a good track record coming in, if I'm honest. But I didn't really get nervous at any point in time, I think, because there's just that moment where it's like, well, this is Zach Greinke. They're not supposed to win this game. Coming into the series, they've got to face Clayton Kershaw on Zach Greinke four times. They've got to win two of them. It's weird coming into the underdogs. They were the favorite in 2006. They were the favorite in 1988. As I remember, I was six years old. But it's just one of those games that, you just have to sort of watch and be sort of catatonic for the entire thing.
0: Jacob DeGrom gives up two runs in the bottom of the first inning. I was following you on Twitter, Jeff. You were calling for the bullpen to get loose, so you had to have been at least a little nervous.
4: Okay, yes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's an elimination game. Kerry Collins has never managed in the playoffs. He's never managed in an elimination game, sort of an all-hands-on-deck type game. And it's like DeGrom didn't have great command in the first start, but he figured it out pretty quickly. You know, he fell behind a few guys, but he battled through, settled down. It just didn't look like that was going to happen again. And you can't just, you can't punt the game. You have to have somebody up ready to get through the end of the inning, and then Syndergaard behind him. You've got Syndergaard on regular rest. We know what he can do. You can't have Jacob deGrom lose that game on the mound if you don't think he has it. But, you know, that's why I'm sitting here in my chair in my apartment at you know, waiting for a NLCS Game 1, and Terry Collins is managing the team. At the end of the day, you got to tip your cap. He did what he had to do. He has. I trust in his ace. They played nine innings, and the only people that threw in that game were Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, and J.R. Familia. You can't argue with that.
0: Daniel Murphy carried the offense in this series. Two home runs off Clayton Kershaw, a homer off Granke in Game 5. This guy, we didn't even know what his future in New York was not too long ago. How impressive is it what Murph did?
4: I mean, it's very impressive. The playoffs make strange heroes. Uh, I don't know if Murphy is really... A strange choice to carry the team for five games because there's one thing we know about Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy is incredibly streaky. And when he gets going, you can't get him out. You know, the power is a little weird. Every once in a while, you'll see him run into one. And when he hits home runs for the Mets over the years, they're usually bombs. Like, he'll just... Usually you see him, you know, he's slapping the ball to left center is what he does, fighting off pitches. But every once in a while, he'll get a pitch, you know, middle, middle, middle in, and he'll pull it. And he just happened to do it. Three times this series off two of the best pitchers in baseball. I saw a great stat that he had two home runs off Kershaw on the series, as you said. That's the only left-handed pitcher he has multiple home runs off of in his career.
0: You mentioned Familia sixteen batters faced, sixteen batters retired. How incredible has his run been this year? Because originally that was supposed to be Henry Mejia at the beginning of the year. It wasn't even supposed to be Familia in that spot.
4: You know, I don't remember if I said this when I talked with you preseason, but I, I have my concerns about Familia. After last year, I know his numbers were great, but he had some issues with lefties. He didn't strike out a ton of guys for like a top-level closer. But right around, he had that little blip after the All-Star break, added in that 95-mile-an-hour splitter, and since then he's just been unhittable. And he's a bulldog. I had, no, like, I had no doubts about bringing him in for six outs there. That's the guy you want to give the ball to. I know Syndergaard looked great in the seventh, but he got an up-and-down a lot in that game with the Gram struggles. <laughs> Uh, you don't know as a starter if you can get up and down between innings like that and come back out, and they really act like a multi-inning reliever. You just don't know. You do know J.A.R. Samilia can. You know he's going to come in and throw a 98-mile-an-hour sinker, a 95-mile-an-hour split, a 90-mile-an-hour slider. I want that guy on the mound. Take your chances. And he delivered. And he was great the entire series. And he's going to be one of the keys, I think, uh, going forward against the Cubs. You know, how many innings can you get out of him? And Terry rode his horses in Game 5, and that's what you have to do.
0: Capital Region Sports Saturday brought to you by Mohawk Honda, your number one volume dealer in the Capital Region. On the phone with Jeff Pedernostro of Amazing Avenue and Baseball Prospectus. Jeff, how confident are you and Matt Harvey going into game one of the NLCS?
4: I don't know. I mean, he looked, for all the talk about innings limits and innings counts and Scott Boris and arbitration awards and, you know, 2018 free agency, it's just still a guy that's coming off Tommy John surgery. He's never thrown 190 innings in a season. He looked gassed in Game 3. Um, so I don't know what to expect in Game 1. I think really anything's possible. I mean, Matt Harvey is still a very good Major League pitcher. He's a tough dude. He wants the ball, I think, in this spot. I just will have to see if his, if his body and his right arm can hold up to it.
0: You were at City Field for both games at at home in the division series. Are you going to get a chance to make it out to the NLCS? And what do you expect the crowd to be like? Because you told me off air that you've never seen anything like what you saw at City Field last week.
4: I mean, I knew it was going to be something game three. I was walking around uh, field level right before the game. And right when the Dodgers' introduction started, just the level of noise that was coming down from the entire stadium. They were just booing the training staff. That's who got announced first. And then, of course, Utley got announced, and it just took it to another level. And then the Granderson double, basically double to put them in the lead, and then eventually just building up to the Suspettis home run, which is the loudest I've ever heard, City Field. And I think you're going to see something similar for Game 1 with Harvey on the mound. If they get out to a fast start there, it's going to be, this is what, as a Mets fan, you want. 45,000, however many people they are going to cram into that building just going absolutely nuts for everything and it, it makes a difference i think it's sort of driving this team at this point
0: jeff Peternostro, for amazing avenue baseball Prospectus, with us capital region sports saturday jeff best of luck to the mets hey you got the rest yesterday and now you get to do it all again tonight mets cubs game one good luck we'll talk to you soon
4: yeah thanks i only have to do this maybe 14 more times
0: hey that's you'd be all right with that maybe eight though. maybe just eight, eight Eight's ideally yeah Ah yes, we are back. Capital Region Sports Saturday on the phone with Zach By, Albany men's basketball broadcaster, you Albany football broadcaster, Zach. America East releases the preseason men's basketball poll. You Albany picked to finish second. Zach, they've won the league tournament the last three years. When are these people going to learn?
3: Well, you know what? I- I'll tell you this.